Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. Welcome back to the NAVA podcast series. Uh, my name is Justine Youssef. I am an artist and the professional development coordinator here at NAVA. Um, this morning, I'm super lucky to be sitting here, sitting with, um, to be sitting here speaking with Latai Tamapiao. Um, Latai is a performance generator and contemporary punake who works with the body and uses risk-taking, endurance, and duration as a tool in a way that prioritizes her own heritage arts as a continuation of her ancestry from the island kingdom of Tonga. Morning, Latai. Morning. Hi. That was great, thank you. So today we'll be speaking with you about your practice relative to climate justice and the environmental, ethical, and political effects of climate change in the Pacific region. Before we open up this conversation though, um, can we unpack what your relationship is with the term unake? Um, so what, what does it mean to, I guess, be given this title by your community as well? Well, for starters, yeah, the word punake is from the Tongan language. It loosely translates um, a composer of movement or dance, poetry and music. And a punake is often, like each clan has a punake or multiple punake and they yeah they're from the area of performance um they're often very well respected and revered and their responsibility is primarily to uh document the narratives of their people mm. and so i'm a self-appointed punake nobody has made me that and that was a decision that I made several years ago to identify myself as um, a punake because I trained in dance and theatre and felt that those, you know, the area of dance kind of limited me to what I might make yeah. because it's it's already perceived as, a very, as quite a specific form. Um, so for me, I wanted to centre the Tongan worldview. I, and actually, I had a lot of problems, you know, trying to think about how I might identify myself, you know, as a dancer or, you know, an artist or a performance maker. And all of those things would mean I would constantly have to explain and it would also rely on what people or an audience already know and understand. So I thought, why don't I just use this um, exploration of my own culture to create a form, um, because I believe form is political, mm -hmm. um, or to continue a form that prioritises another group of people that's outside of the Western canon of art. And as an Australian, as a Tongan who was born in Australia and lives in Australia and wanting to make um, performance work about my immediate environment and sur surroundings, which is not always my village or my coastline or you know so I feel like um, punake is still a term that I identify 
as, um, which may not always be the case, you know. Part of, you know, um, identifying as a punake is, is about opening up how we might start to consider the way we exist with our cultural forms that are going to evolve um, and that also recognise that we have valuable heritage in art making and art practice, yeah. you know, already. And they can contribute, these things can contribute to the greater, you know, dialogues that we're, we're trying to have as artists, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I think putting ourselves in the room, centering our cultures in within the canon is important. Yeah. As a punake, I have come to um, realise over the years how complex, you know, um, one's artistic identity can be and how it's always evolving, you know. So I think for me describing uh, myself and my work, well, the way that I've described it is the more ancient I am, the more contemporary my work is. And I think that speaks to the multiple transactions of culture that I experience in making the work and presenting the work and also the transformation. I think, you know, performance and live art is transformative and I create the conditions for myself to be transformed in the hope that people receiving the work are not just static bystanders but um, are also transformed by the work and that, are, you know, assuming that they are intelligent and that they can come and they can decode the work. But it pertains to my First Nations identity, this idea of being ancient, but also existing very much in the present, present as a contemporary person, as a, a contemporary Indigenous person from the Pacific region who makes contemporary work. In, in the frangy, penniless margins, that's how I've put it before. Yeah, so we're not these kind of flower-wearing people in your holiday destination, you know. So earlier this year, you participated in um, APT9, exhibiting documentation of an ongoing durational performance artwork titled Dark Continent. In this work, you explored the inseparability of person and place through the Tongan concept of Fanoa. Can you, I guess, first describe what audiences engage with um, in the live component of this work? Mm -hmm. Well, firstly, I mean, APT9 is a big dream, you know, for any artist. I think it's particularly for a Pacific artist from Australia yeah. because we've seen, you know, like it, over the years, we've, we've generated artists from the Pacific who are Australian and it's really great to be one of the artists now that, uh, you know, that has presented now at APT9. Yeah really prestigious and just an honour to be amongst, you know, such incredible work and artists that work Dark Continent. The live component was made um, several years ago and was a durational work. Um, it was an endurance work over 48 hours. So it was a spray tanning of my body for 48 hours um, here in Sydney at 4A. And it was interesting because it was in the you know the front gallery of 4A in, in Haymarket and I slept there for 48 hours. It was part of a show called 48 Hour Mass Group Incident and it was a durational exhibition for 48 hours. So I slept in the gallery 
um, and stayed in the gallery for the entire 48 hours and um, spray tanned my body, you know, every six hours, something like that. I can't remember the details, but it was interesting how I thought about that work. I mean, why would a person do that? You know, it, it's, and, and I think for me, thinking about the body um, inside my practice is always related to the, you know, this, the concept, the Tong concept of funua. We have one word for body, land, um, placenta. And so that is a, that tells me that that's the, the relationship between these things, you know. So the performing body, my body, um, you know, is political in Australia. It also is, you know, it's a, it has a clear relationship to land for me culturally. So my body is material and this substance of um, spray tan is material, you know, could potentially have a relationship and that's where the performance of that came. I also wanted to investigate, like, how does a non-First Nations Australian artist um, uh, support and in solidarity, Indigenous, you know, First Nations Australian mm -hmm. artists in the idea of um, land and belonging to place and custodialship, you know. And so when I was starting to think about that, I, you know, I was thinking about how I can use my body in service of this mm. idea and where I'm still also extending my, my practice of Whanua. So it started to look and feel really absurd to me, which I quite like as well, because when I think about, you know, as a person of colour, just thinking about spray tanning as an everyday um, action that other people do, it's weird as a person of colour to mm -hmm. think about that when you juxtapose it with racism. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to play with these ideas um, because you can't remove your skin colour, but also there's a depth to to um, belonging to place that isn't just about pigment in your skin. So I wanted to look at, 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 at that. Um, and that's why it's called dark content um, because it's a statement. It's you know, but I also yeah wanted to you know performance is ephemeral. So it's interesting to think about how I might repeat the same performance or create the conditions where I might create an image that is um, you know based on this concept. That isn't about shocking people. Um, it isn't about shocking my body either with, you know, the the material of spray tan, but more about looking at what it means to endure something mm -hmm. so complex as, as race and racism in Australia mm -hmm. and belonging to place. So I think with the APT work, it was, you know, important for me to be able to put a work in there that has my Pacific identity, my Tongan identity as a maker, but also as a person who's commenting on the place that I was born in, the place that, you know, I, I reside in, um, you know, and I, I, it became a really interesting way for me as a performance artist to think about how I might place my work in a gallery over, a, a, you know, a, what was it, a 
five-month period, you know, so rather than, you know, um, staging a live work, which, you know, over 48 hours um, was the premise of that, the original work, but also seeing how it might extend into uh, an exhibition space. So I'm really proud that that is now part of the state collection. Um, Congratulations. So that's that's exciting, exciting. Yeah. especially for a, a performance maker, you know, so yeah. I'm really, yeah, really happy about that. Uh, so your work, Repatriate, is a 90-minute durational performance piece mm. where you work with water and time to essentially stage a drowning. So contained in a perspex tank, no larger than a standard shower, you perform a dance dressed in children's flotation devices um, as you are steadily submerged by this rising body of water. I was curious to know what the process of developing this work was and what the experience was of, of performing it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Repatriate was maybe my second or third work that belongs to a body of work where I'm, uh, I'm talking about climate change and the impact of climate change on the Pacific. Um, so Repatriate was made as a video, a dance screen work, and very new for me to, to work with that medium. So. A big question for me was how do I create a transformative experience for somebody experiencing my work through a screen rather than live? Mm. So these were very different things, you know, made it very like challenging, it was hugely challenging. And I collaborated with Elias Nora, who is a filmmaker and educator and good old friend. Um, and we also lived on the same street at that time, so it was really convenient to be able to work on this work. Uh, but Repatriate, I think, was, uh, you know, by, by that time, because it was my second or maybe third climate change work, it, it, I started to un, um, make it necessary for me to work with viewer materials, um, looking at my own waste uh, with materials, um, looking at how I might reuse things. And so the flotation devices that I used belong to my niece and nephew, so they're, and so they're children's floaties, you know, the yellow things that go around the wrist, around the ankles, around the body. And I place them on my body as I would, um, in the same way that we adorn our bodies for cultural performance. So we usually put leaves, beautifully made um, leaves and seeds and flowers around our neck, around our wrists, around our ankles, um, to accentuate the area of the body that we articulate in the performance. So, for me, these floaties, because they're domestic and they're children's uh, floaties, they symbolised a particular, like the economics maybe of the Pacific, with my body being the representation of the Pacific inside this body of water. And with um, the tank being filled with water as I was performing this dance in there, and the dance was made up of different dancers I've learnt over my lifetime from various islands in the Pacific. So accessing that archive of dance vocabulary that belonged to places in the region became, you know, was the material for me to perform. But also it was the it was the dance that was impacted by the sea, by the water rising in the tank, and then the floaties also creating buoyancy. So that kind of um, conflict in that tank started to present the struggle of, you know, of, of this person in the tank, which 
is probably the worst case scenario for Pacific people who are already impacted by climate change. You know, the sea levels rising, you know, king tides, extreme weather patterns. And so for me, you know, looking at the invisibility of Australia's nearest neighbours, um, it was important. And this work was about that, you know, so it was showing that, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a video work, a video installation work, and the live work was, you know, performed mainly to for the video making, mm -hmm. but it was performed once only. And it's not a work that I would really do live because it, it's, you know, it's a little bit pointless to do that. Um, it's also very difficult to have something like that tank re-engineered. You know, it's, the resources that go into that is, you know. Um, excessive yeah. so that's that's why it was kind of also really exciting to make a work that has a life beyond the live mm. element you know um, so yeah it was it's challenging and of course as we move through the climate crisis um, which Pacific people have been talking about for more than 30 years you know things change so the works like it for me to continuously make work responding to the impact of climate change as an Australian is about calling Australia out on um, our irresponsibility to our nearest neighbours. Sure. You know? It feels so immediate doing that through the body and experiencing your work like firsthand as well. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and also the risk and the vulnerability of communities who we're not hearing from through the media. We don't hear about, you know, um, you know, uh, what how they're experiencing the hardship of salt water coming up through the ground and, and you know, contaminating their food gardens. You know, we're not hearing about those things. So I feel it's important to, you know, constantly make work about about this because, you know, it's, it's there at the front line and Indigenous people actually around the world, you know, are at the front line of this crisis and in this region, First Nations Australians and the Pacific, uh, you know, so you know, that in a way, for me, I see my work, um, and I have for some time, as as a com campaign that sits alongside other environmental campaigns. Mm -hmm. You know, where I prioritise the voice of of um, Indigenous people who are already impacted by climate change, but see our role as one of empowerment um, and privilege as diaspora, where we can also use our use that platform. You know. Yeah. So in 2012, you presented Island Exile, uh, a confronting and challenging work which saw you sus um, suspended under two tons of ice over two days in an outdoor courtyard in Circular Quay. Through this work, you drew attention to rising sea levels and the nations they threatened through the drops of water that slowly and relentlessly fell onto you. Um, in this endurance performance, you likened the experience of those already impacted by climate change to a form of water torture that is imposed on the Pacific region. Uh, I, I guess I want to know like, how this work might call into question the responsibility of bystanders and their role in the process of climate change. Mm. Yeah, so Island Exile was a work that was the, my very first work um, about climate change and mm -hmm. it followed a trip that I made to uh, Indonesia in 2007 with the United Nations Climate Change Conference where I met many Pacific leaders all the you know um, environmental NGOs from Australia um, and I uh, was a companion to Pacific people from the Pacific who were attending the, the 
the climate change conference, this impacted me and my practice like hugely. I I actually was became really confused after that experience about what I could now do, you know, and I thought like what am I what am I making as an artist and like what who cares what mm. you know um, about making art. You know, and so it took a, several years actually to work out how I might indulge in art making and make that relevant and find a function for it within um, society. So, you know, um, Island Exile, you know, was a, a work that was also about me coming to terms with uh, becoming a solo artist because I'd made, you know, I'd been in dance. I predominantly made dance work with companies or other, you know, independent works with other contemporary dancers. And so it started to, you know, the, with a residency in trying to work out just exactly what this is, you know. So I think coming from a performance background, I always value an audience. Like, I, they're always at the centre of who I'm thinking this work is for. Mm -hmm what do I want them to experience? And, you know, so again, you know, I was looking at the Tongan worldview around performance. In Tongan cultural performance, we perf we want to produce this state called mafana, which is an inner warmth, you know, um, an enlightenment, you know, um, that's, that's what you want to produce. That's how I receive cultural performance. Like, you know, I really love it. The big question for me is like, how do you make contemporary work um, have the same kind of visceral experiences, you know. Um, that is also about the intellect, but it's about these deep feelings. You want to access that. So when I was thinking about Island Exile, um, I wanted to produce some conditions um, that where I wasn't, I hadn't rehearsed, you know, a performance, but I create the conditions that were about an image that um, speaks and might stay with a viewer or an audience member or somebody who's walking by. So then they might think about climate change in a different way because at that time we were hearing about it as if it was, you know, like some far off, you know, sci-fi sci something or other, you know. And so I wanted to bring that um, idea of climate change closer and into the bodies of, of Australians who have power. So um, I looked at all of us Australians being in a state of complacency and that the way that we were operating in our lives were having, you know, by our decisions around what energy, you know, coal, you know, fossil fuels, all these things, our choices around those things have immediate impact on other people you know, on the Pacific. So I wanted to bring that those two things closer together. So thinking about water torture was quite an extreme way for me to think about that relationship. Um, but I thought it also created room to create conditions of risk, you know, um, the idea of the, the drop of water, you know, consistently on, on a person you know, the harm that that causes. And I feel that rather than speaking directly to climate change, if you speak with an image of something that might be more familiar, mm. it may be a way in to, to understanding something so, you know, foreign or even complex. Yeah. yeah. So, and again, you know, using my body as a representation or a symbol of place. Yeah. Um, and again, with 
you know, I wore high-vis orange, you know, so these, just these materials to identify the urgency, um, the risk and the, the difference in economic status of Pacific people and Australia, you know, so being framed in the, with this two-ton block of ice, you know, the scale, playing with scale, you know, so there's a, I, I think in that work I found a new obsession with materials and also ice, you know, water and ice and the transformation of that material, the invisibility of that material spoke to many things um, around climate change, which I was still really still fresh, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so learning about climate change and, and also it was a cathartic process to think about my ancestral place not existing anymore so you know like riffing that with my sister who you know um came up with the title island exile was you know was also about processing what it does what does it mean for me to to have this the safety and security as an australian but to feel you know in a particular way for my ancestral land yeah. which is you know um something that I think many Pacific people are also grappling with. So, you know, other cultural references were the lashings of the rope and also, you know, some um, suggestive ideas around um, the exotification of the Pacific. You know, there's, we all know that Australians holiday, you know, love island holidays, you know, and it, it, did, it did occur to me that that might be a question as well. Where will people go on holiday once these islands disappear? You know, so there's an absurdity to um, to my work, and that I think you know I'm just always trying to pose open questions where people have to make a decision mm -hmm. for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's really important. And yeah. so, yeah, just the placement of making performance and an audience receiving that performance, and how what the duration of that. Um, uh, process might be for somebody, you know, like whether it be in a still image or even, you know, people were taking selfies, you know. Right. Yeah, you know, oh. so, and I had to work that out. How yeah. do I feel about that? Because many of people who, uh, my friends that were there, were really offended by that. But it, sure. But at the same time, that's the reality, you know. And also when I think about the... Um, the life of that work then existing beyond this, you know, ephemeral performance, like, although it's a one hour performance um, that went on for three days, uh, you know, it still might live somewhere else and still create those questions, mm. which is, I, I thought was really great. Yeah. Just thinking about it as a movement and as a campaign. I think what's also funny, interesting now in hindsight, thinking about um, a friend of mine was still a photographic uh, printer and so he had printed some photos in a photo studio in Rose Bay and came across a, an image of from that performance. No. Yeah. And I, that blew me away, actually. Whoa. Just, yeah. So it, it really started to make me think, you know, later on with other works mm. about the longevity of work <laughs> and the power of this, the power of live art, but also like one other, that. yeah. What other objects maybe may come from the live work, which you know, you know, then thinking now into APT, 
is also where that kind of sits as well. Yeah. You know, in performance documentation, you know, worked with uh, Zan Wimberley did that and mm. then going into mm. another, making another work from the live work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read this little excerpt of you kind of discussing Island Exile. Um, I might read out and then kind of unpack a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you wrote that you described this work as void of frangipanis. Um, there will be no songs and dances by smiling natives, pina coladas or deck chairs. Only expectation for the international community to take responsibility for the demise of vulnerable others by acting now. Um, I guess what's amazing to have you here speaking with me like um, through Nava is to kind of maybe unpack how the art sector might be able to transform the conversation around climate change and translate that into into some kind of like tangible action rather than simply like raising awareness yeah that's a really important thing I, I and I feel like over the years it's been a question that I don't know I would have known how to answer it mm-hmm. except for support artists in con- in continuing to make work mm-hmm. about the environment, uh, you know, particularly Indigenous artists, because there's a way that, you know, and, and I guess in this, uh, you know, the my process that I've found over years um, is that this, we don't separate art and you know, ourselves mm-hmm. and belonging and place necessarily. And so there's something really important to be learnt and captured in that and that is um, that can be at the forefront of the way that we start to approach um, making work about the environment. I think there are some great organisations who have set up some really wonderful ways that arts organisations can um, do more. Some of them, uh, Julie's Bicycle in the UK have some really great ways of how you, an organisation might audit themselves mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, and it's stuff that we know about, you know, how you might convert to solar and wherever you can. But I think what's important for me is thinking about, um, for curators and programmers, is sometimes I really understand the necessity for artists to be encouraged to make new work but actually some sometimes the works that we're making about the environment are still relevant and creating um, frameworks for those works to be seen again and again in yeah. various places is important rather than constantly needing to make new work because mm-hmm. then we're also producing a lot of waste and you know these things um, I also think that when people make work over a long period of time, like so Repatriate we made over three years, you know, so there's a lot of research and time that goes into making these things and if, and the beauty of making video work and visual based work and objects is that they have a life that can continue on and on and on. So I think it's really important to create frameworks for works to continue to be experienced by um, audiences. Also, you know, encouraging artists to, in in lots of new ways, to make work about the environment and their impact. You know, I think these these are really important things. Um, Some artists make one or two works, others 
continuously make work. So it's good to kind of differentiate who's doing what and how you might support an artist through that. Um, maybe some really great publications around materials, around resources, um, thinking about choices and decisions about how artists may be transported to other to places, you know. I, I mean, I can't say that I've been rigorous at all in preventing myself from flying from place to place, but, you know, I think it's, it's something to think about when you work with artists, local artists, you minimise transport. I mean, of course I love travelling, but, you know, there are consequences mm -hmm. to that. So we need to hold our own selves accountable. Um, Organisations need to also hold themselves accountable. Um, everybody does. This is this is the, the urgency of the climate crisis. Actually, yeah. you know, yeah. So those are probably the, the the most immediate things that I would say are ways that organisations, artists, and you know. Um, collectives groups can start to think about how they're engaging. Actually, a really another really important thing is divesting, you know, certain financial brokers, banks, you know, still fund fossil fuels, fossil fuel companies. And so one of the power, the parts of the a powerful thing is to divest sure. in, you know, institutions that have better, you know, environmental sustainability plans yeah yeah that makes so much sense thank you for sharing that with me cool um and i guess maybe just tying this conversation up i was curious to know um a little bit about your work with um climate researchers scientists and economists through the sustainability sustainability agency tipping point and maybe like what some strategies um maybe if you can share some strategies that were developed from that program mm -hmm. i guess those strategies were kind of um, geared towards expanding community understandings of and responses to climate change. Can you yeah. speak a little to that? Yeah, I think one of the great things that Tipping Point have done is um, connected artists with other sectors, the arts with other sectors, um, arts and culture with other sectors. So um, what that's done, you know, so that might be scientists, economists, you know, environmentalists, whoever. And so part of what Tipping Point have do really well is bring these people together in the room. Um, so it might be, uh, you know, or, or create events where everybody comes into the room. And then they kind of, the tipping point are really great at enabling other sectors who operate in silos, um, enabling them to understand how artists might be valuable in their work related to climate science or environment and so they create platforms for people to meet and connect and cross you know look at so people can um, understand that they may have a project that might be in the arts that fits perfectly with some climate scientists or you know other people who are working on a very similar project and so maybe they should collaborate and so it's it, it is about having this a more what's that lateral kind of uh, reach yeah. within various sectors so that's been really you know great for me because I have been a fly in the wall in certain you know conferences where you know I don't necessarily want to collaborate with anybody in 
you know, at, in, at those times, you know, like I might be working on something quite specific and just need to access this information and this as a part of my research, you know, which also then sometimes I can be programmed in as a performer within a conference or a speaker within a conference. And so we start to create these, you know, break down those silos of where mm -hmm. this knowledge kind of sits. So sometimes people like to talk about it as if like artists are translating this other information. I don't like to think about it that way at all, you know. So I think it's more, it is more about extending the relationships between mm. the sectors because we have to have a holistic approach. Yeah. We have, we're, we're people who share the planet with other living beings and so we, we just have to kind of look at that matrix and work out how we might be able to you know find a place to work with each other and you know it's crazy it's crazy the amount of creativity actually within these sectors that um, where people really do want to work um, with artists around different things you know design in design in you know producing games producing ways around not just building awareness but you know, I think we're beyond, really beyond the recycling and the awareness. We've, we've got to look at mitigation. We've got to look at, you know, a whole range of things. So, yeah, I think it's tipping point have been really great with, with connecting. Amazing. Mm. There's so much to be said about that, like, transdisciplinary knowledge exchange yeah. and that, that value of artists um, right next to, like, economists and, and scientists. And, yeah. and I guess just how that, those different ways of thinking about the same topic can really engage with, like, um, and create new knowledge. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it also validates, like, um, you know, the, the amount of research artists actually do mm. to, to produce and generate their work. Yeah, completely. You know, I think especially in these times of crisis we have we have got a role to play you know and it's important for us to t take that position take a position you know um i certainly feel like that's my responsibility as a as a human not just an artist yeah. as a person you know living on this planet right now you know so i think um collaborating with organizations you know within and outside of the sector is absolutely cru crucial mm -hmm. it's critical yeah thank you Latai. thank you i really appreciate it actually head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on nava's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for australian artists and arts organizations